0: Was really about you know four pillars getting people vaccinated getting students back in school getting people back to work and getting checks into people's hands and with that comes a lot of money
1: how can local governments best use president biden's two trillion dollar american rescue plan to make cities more inclusive and innovative in the first episode of our series empowering cities our guests will discuss how cities are benefiting from Biden's American Rescue Plan. Empowering Cities is part of our project, New Urban Progress, a transatlantic dialogue on how to make cities more innovative, green, and for all. The project is made possible by a joint metro initiative of Das Progressive Zentrum, the Alfred Gesellschaft, and the Progressive Policy Institute. My name is Diego Rivas and you are listening to Talking Progress, a podcast by Das Progressive Centrum. This podcast explores new ideas for social progress in Germany, Europe, and transatlantic spaces. Today, you are listening to our transatlantic series, Empowering Cities. This episode was recorded by the Progressive Policy Institute and is hosted by their president, Will Marshall, and senior policy fellow, Crystal Swan. They are sitting down with Congresswoman and former mayor of Tacoma, Marilyn Strickland, and Sly James, former mayor of Kansas City. Let's get started.
2: My name is Will Marshall, and I'm joined and co-hosting today my colleague Crystal Swan. Our topic is um, how to make President Biden's $1.9 trillion um, dollar American Rescue Plan work. You know, this is a pretty big deal. We don't usually get $2 trillion <laughs> flowing out of Washington. Uh, and uh, this passed in March, and by the way, with uh, zero support from the Republican Party. But now uh, comes the hard part. Uh, deploying ma- a massive commitment of this size of public resources effectively to beat the pandemic and to uh, jumpstart a full recovery uh, is, is going to take a lot of work. Uh, President Biden has said, you know, Americans, America's cities are on the front lines of all the problems we want this money to tackle. So we are fortunate today to have two very special guests to join us who can uh, bring their insights to bear on this question and on this opportunity, uh, both friends of ours. And uh, so I want to welcome uh, two former mayors, uh, I should say, who uh, who have uh, won na- national accolades for creative leadership in their respective cities. So let me welcome first, uh, by order of seniority, Slide James, uh, who is a two-term mayor of uh, Kansas City. Uh, built a reputation for being a great builder of modern infrastructure and a pioneer in early education and other things uh, but he has a really fascinating career path. Everyone should look at his c v He's uh, a marine a trial attorney award winning author, and a lead singer in a band and i'm i 'm guessing it was the fabulous flames, but you can uh, you can yeah. tell me what it is. He now runs uh, Wickham James Strategies, which focuses, I imagine on a lot of questions uh, that we're going to be talking about. And then we have uh, our good friend uh, representative Marilyn Strickland, yeah. who we met when she was uh, in her second term as mayor of Tacoma, Washington, uh, where she really helped pull that city out of the, you know the of the last uh, great recession uh, we suffered. Um, and uh, she was elected to Congress uh, on November tenth. Uh, from the 10th district, and has an impressive array of firsts to her credit. She was the first in her family to graduate from college, first Korean-American uh, elected to Congress, and the first Black representative from Washington State. So we have two wonderful guests. Thank you both for taking the time to be with us today. And I'm going to now turn it over to Crystal.
3: Thank you, Will. I appreciate that. Um and it's so wonderful to be back in the company of mayors. I, like we always say, it's like w- always, once a mayor, always a mayor. So you will always be referred to as mayor. And then unless you tell me otherwise, i represent the district. And it's so great to see you and, and uh, Mayor James. Oh, just wonderful. Yeah, I spent, as, as well said, I 20 plus years at the U.S. Conference of Mayors working on Children, Health and Human Services and all manner of other things that we um, we worked on that dealt with urban issues. So this is a very you know passionate issue for me as well knows we have long conversations about it so i want to get into it um, and be respectful of your time our first question is about the american recovery plan uh, which channels about 135 billion dollars to cities and counties uh, with with what we can tell is very few strings attached i think they're still figuring out some of the eligibility pieces of that puzzle Ah, uh, with the, with this kind of money uh, focused in on local communities on for issues for childcare, school, low income energy assistance, public transit, small business, the question is how can metro leaders help focus uh, and bring focus and discipline to this really amazing opportunity um, to help quote unquote build back better, but really to to reframe and transform how local governments move
4: forward. So I'd love to get both of your take on on that question. Congresswoman, I'll bow to your superior knowledge about the (laughs) plan.
0: Okay, well, you know, when you think about the American Rescue Plan, it really was about triaging a problem. And you know, this—I remind folks that we've been in a, in a pandemic for one year, and so the CARES Act came out last year. Remember? And as you all know, you know, the implementation was a little clunky because it was a large sum of money. And so I tell folks that you know, with each respective iteration of aid, we know what not to do and we refine the process. And so with the Rescue Plan, it was really about you know, four pillars getting people vaccinated, getting students back in school, getting people back to work and getting checks into people's hands. And with that comes a lot of money. Now, I remember when the CARES Act came out, I was not in Congress at the time, And I remember the threshold for population to get direct aid to cities was about 500,000. And I saw that number. I said, well, that's going to leave out a lot of communities in Washington state. So this time around, you know, we fought really hard for $360 billion of direct aid to local, state, tribal nations. And really giving some flexibility because they know what their community needs best needs are the best. And so we try to make, and I'm gonna use the word unrestricted, but definitely some flexibility with how it can be used. And as you know, the money's not going to arrive in one lump sum, but I know the communities I've spoken with are very grateful to get it because they can decide how it wants to be used. And for example, with Pierce County, you know, they just allocated $4 million to help local small businesses during this recession. And so I think that the way that we're, this is going to work is going to be in partnership with state and local government, but really understanding that people on the ground at home know best what the needs of their communities are and how it should be used.
4: Well, I'll, I'll agree with that 100%. People in those communities know how best to use it. But I also think this is a very unique opportunity to do things that need to be done. One of the problems that I think we've always had as a country is is that we've never had consistent leadership in place long enough yeah. to actually tackle the chronic problems that we face. As soon as one party or one person comes up with an idea, that idea may be good and then the next party takes power, then that party sweeps that past program out and starts anew. So the problem never gets fixed. It just gets a bunch of band aids on it, and then it springs leaks elsewhere. We know from this pandemic that there are huge fissures in this society. Uh, there are fissures based on race, there are fissures based on gender, there are fissures based on whether or not you're urban or rural. This money offers an opportunity to start to address some of those fissures. We also know, uh, as Representative Strickland knows as well as I do because she too was a mayor, as I was, we have problems on the local level that the federal government seldom addresses in a very cohesive way. For example, let's take the issue of of, uh, housing, uh, where we find that there are more people of color who rent than own, and part of the reason they rent rather than own is because of the restrictions on lending that they face, the barriers that they face, the lower incomes that they face, because we know that if you, uh, uh, that, that black folks, uh, for every $1 that black folks made in wealth or have in wealth, uh, white folks have $10. So that's a barrier right there. And when you talk to banks and lenders, they don't want to make those loans because they consider them to be high risk. So what if cities were to take some of these funds, for example, and set up a stopgap fund that would back the banks or the lenders and say, first of all, we disagree with your data. We believe the people that you're saying are bad risks are really not bad risks at all. And to prove it, we're going to put up blank amount of money in a fund A revolving fund that if you should take a loss will help offset some of that loss which should stimulate more uh, more lending in those areas what if we were to actually try to address some of the systemic and chronic issues in this country with this money we will not have this opportunity again god willing Uh, when we do have this opportunity we need to be looking further down the road than just supplementing budgets which i fear some states are going to try to do, Mm -hmm. use this money to offset their budgets and to uh, give tax breaks to their friends. That is not what this is for. Uh, We need to be looking at how do we stimulate more economic activity. One way might be to make sure that we're stimulating and protecting our um, uh, venues for music and hotels and leisure activities so that people come out. When they come out, they spend more money. All those things are things we could do, but it needs to be planned out. And there needs to be collaboration between various sectors in order to make it efficient and to get the biggest bang for the buck.
0: You know, and, you know, to your point, Mayor James, you know, with the American Rescue Plan, we actually did put money in there specifically for venues that were hurt by the pandemic. We did put money in there specifically for restaurants that were hurt by the pandemic. And so, as we talk about helping small businesses, what we're talking about are employers in a lot of different sectors. And I come back to the fact that, you know, 25% of the population is vaccinated. That is not a majority, that is far from it. And as we talk about, you know, some people in local communities, whether they're mayors or governors saying, okay, we're we're open for business. We can very easily slide back into the pandemic again because, yes, it's getting vaccinations in arms, but it's a race to make sure that the new strains of the the virus don't start to overtake the population. And so, again, you know, I, I will come back to vaccines all the time and I'm pretty heavy handed about this because this is going to be the key to a full economic recovery. People have to feel safe going out and resuming business, but understanding that people around them have to be vaccinated. And as always, you still have to wear a mask, at least until we have a critical mass of people who are vaccinated.
4: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and just one last thing before we move to Kristen's <laughs> question, which I'm sure she's waiting to ask. Um, as we look at stimulating small business, I think we need to broaden our definition of small business to include the arts. Yeah. Um, musicians are struggling. Uh, artists are struggling. The places that use and hire musicians and artists are struggling. Uh, When I did, when I was in office, we had the Kansas City Convergence Plan, which looked at the economic impact of the arts on our region. That economic impact is huge. And it is suffering along with the hotels and restaurants and every place else, because they're tied together. So I hope that as we start to address these issues of getting people back to work, that we recognize that you don't have to work for ABC Company or Wickham James or, or uh, the Cadillac dealership to have a job. Some jobs are independent and they need support as well.
3: Absolutely. I'm a huge, huge, I'm an artist myself, right. not a musician, but a different kind of artist um, still in the performing arts. Um, I think and I'm so I'm completely um, happy that you, you brought that up. I'm going to shoot the next question over to, to Will, I think you're going to.
2: Yeah, well, thanks. I, um, I want to this is maybe a more political question. But uh, uh, Ron Brownstein is a great journalist, wrote a, a wonderful piece a while back where he argued that this, you know, that the Biden agenda has to run through the cities. You know, that the the mayors in the cities, which, let's face it, are mostly blue (laughs) uh, and uh, heavily Democratic, particularly large ones. uh, But, you know, these are folks who are naturally sympathetic to the aims in this bill, which, again, didn't get any Republican support. um, And uh, that, you know, in a sense, we've got new fault lines in American politics. Uh, Mayor James, you talked about some of the obvious cleavages that we're uh, wrestling with now. But when I got to Washington it used to be that the cities were pitted against the suburbs, right? And you had white flight from the cities and, you know, you had a, a racial story and a class story, but you had tension between the cities and the suburbs. Yeah. The last, in the last 15 years, things have changed, you know, and uh, you've now got uh, the, the, the inner cities and the, and the inner suburbs are more, yeah. you know, together, both politically and they're knitted in, integrated. They're more racially diverse, socially diverse. Uh, and uh, and and economically knitted together because the cities are where all the action's happening. So this is a long-winded question, but you know, you know, and and you know, do you think this is right? It, it, you know, can this administration best achieve its goals in this bill by really a, a direct partnership with uh, mayors, county executives, local leaders, uh, who uh, you know, who are trying to solve the problems that this bill is aimed at, but doing it from the ground up.
0: You know, I, I will say this, you know, when I think about the term urban, for a long time, it was code for poor black and brown people of color who lived in urban communities. Right. The term urban now has taken a very different parlance because of planning. So there are suburban communities who talk about their urban core. There are rural communities that even talk about their main street urban core. And so in some cases, as cities become more gentrified, you see a lot of people moving around who represent different backgrounds in places where you don't expect to see them normally. So I would say that, you know, suburbs are now more diverse than they have been. And even some rural communities are more diverse than they have been. And then the flip side of that, people will say, well, then the urban communities have been gentrified and it's pushed people out. But with that said, I think I do agree that running these types of programs and having people in cities and towns running point on them is really important because, again, Mm -hmm. coming back to our original thesis, that those are the folks who know what's best for our communities. But our definitions of urban, rural, and suburban are evolving now, and they look different than they did probably a decade ago.
4: I agree. But I still think that there are problems that are different in in the rural setting versus the city setting that will be uh, of, that could form a basis for coalitions and building uh, bridges across those divides. For example, uh, if you live in a large city uh, like Kansas City or Tacoma or New York, you probably have some level of access to broadband. Yep. Now, the question is, you have access, whether or not it's affordable for everybody is another issue. But in terms of access, you have access. If you're in a rural community, you may not even have the access whether or not you can afford it. Broadband is infrastructure.
0: Yep.
4: Broadband is just as important as roads and bridges. As a matter of fact, with accessible broadband, the roads and bridges would take less of a beating because a lot more commerce can be conducted by broadband, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, particularly when you look at place rural areas where hospitals in Missouri, for example, closed in those rural areas because of a lack of, uh, of the willingness of the legislature uh, to A, have a brain, B, be willing, <laughs> and C, be willing to use it in order to benefit everybody. Um, it, it, that broadband access could be very helpful to people who need medical services so that they could do telemedicine better. Um, and, and at least on things where you don't actually have to be physically hospitalized or treated hands-on, that provides them with opportunities they don't have. It also provides them, I think, for a level of engagement and entrepreneurism that they would not necessarily have. And one of the things that I think really has to be done, here's a, here's a collaboration that I think is absolutely crucial. It's a collaboration between uh, the federal sector and the business sector in in a different way. I think the SBA should be, at least part of it, should be totally, completely directed towards building entrepreneurs and entrepreneurism. That's where the jobs are being created. That's where people who have a desire to do something but don't necessarily have the skills or the resources could benefit and become more entrepreneurial, thereby creating more jobs. That would certainly help offset that divide that's been created for women, people of color, who have ideas and skills, but do not have the available resources to get it done. Federal government could partner with local governments to get that done. Uh, I know that Maryland in your city, I'm sorry, Congresswoman in your city, that you had programs that were directed towards entrepreneurism, just as we do here. But nice if we had the benefit of federalism and and, and the money flowing in uh, to enable to boost that in a way that raises that entire platform up. Because right now, the small business and the entrepreneurs are competing with the large businesses for resources. The large businesses have the political clout to get what they want, which leaves out the smaller business and entrepreneurs. So the opportunities for collaboration are there. The problem with trying to get the collaboration is, is that we have too many bozos who want to think of everything in terms of politics and not just politics in in the traditional sense of politics is a way to get things done. But politics is a way for me to get elected. Uh, And that's not what it's about. So we need to get over that intellectual philosophical hurdle in order to actually deliver the services and goods to people that we were all elected to do.
0: You know, and I think about the term you said, you know, divide or division and the politics of it will. And, you know, when you talk to people one on one and you're not in the glare of the press or the House floors, like there's really not a ton of disagreement as far as, you know, getting people back to work, investing in workers, helping small business. But the politics of it start to take on a life of their own, I'd say for a few reasons. Number one, the way we consume media these days and how incredibly easy it is to find an echo chamber of people who only agree with you and having that influence your perspective of the world. And then also, too, just the politics of things that have nothing to do with the issues in front of us. And so think about, quote, the wedge issues, right? And also, too, I would say you have a group of people in this country who have for so long believe that there's a certain hierarchy and that people have a certain place in this world. And when you talk about things like equity, it's not that they say to themselves, well, I'm a racist. I don't want anyone to succeed, but they view themselves in danger and their position of power being at risk. And so we can have a whole conversation about just the dynamics of race, equity, gender, and power, but you can't lie that this plays into this conversation. It does. Absolutely.
4: No, there, there you go.
2: Yeah, no question. I just want to pick up one, on one thing you said, uh, 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 Mayor James, and that was, you know, I mean, basically you were making a reference, I think, to state governments, right? Or yeah, partly, you know, in other words, you know, this idea of a direct relationship between federal policymakers who want to solve the problems that you guys in the cities grapple with every day is also the idea of bypassing hostile state legislatures, many of whom are in red hands, but, you know, and are not interested in uh, dealing with some of these historical fractures, you know, that uh, that you, you enumerated, right? They're not going to want to see the money go in that direction. So, well, just-
4: the, the questions that we faced on the day-to-day basis as mayors of cities, and when I say that, I'm not limiting that to cities of over 500,000 okay. cities, in rural towns, whatever. Yep. We all have the same problems. We all have a a segment of our population that is poor. We all have a a segment of our population that's undereducated. We all have infrastructure, housing uh, needs. Those things have to be fixed on the federal, on the local level. They cannot be fixed on the state level because it's too broad and it's too diverse. So funds need to be channeled directly to the places where they can be used. I would be willing to bet you that when Mayor Mayor Strickland left office, she had a list of infrastructure projects that were shovel ready with no funding. Yeah. But if there was funding, could have been done. So did I. So did everybody else. But those infrastructure projects started to grow because infrastructure, the definition, has expanded beyond bricks and mortar yep. and concrete. And, and building blocks. Infrastructure now takes in a lot of other things, the broadband issues, for example, smart city technologies, the how the collection, the use and dissemination and the anal- analysis of data. All that is infrastructure that is necessary for smart government. And without those resources, we will not be able to keep up with the increasingly technological demands of society and to provide services to our to our citizens on an efficient, cost-effective basis. The cost of those services goes up. The tax revenue doesn't necessarily follow. We have to have some way of offsetting that. That's where we could really use great partnerships on different levels. But states are too partisan. They get too much involved in the in the D versus R versus weird versus common sense issues, and and don't get there. They the money never seems to make it from the state government to the cities in okay. the way should.
2: That's a big problem. I'm going to yield to Crystal. Crystal, sadly, this will have to be the last question or and or comment, as we only have two minutes left. I'm told. Oh,
3: okay. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, the question is in in the last two minutes because I know we've got to wrap up. Um, how do we get to that how do we get to that question, right? How do we get to a point where we we are now, instead of you know cities having to ask for things in crisis mode, is there a way to think about a structure, a fund, a a system by which there is a consistent flow, which would be my preference, or um, a a a amount set aside in a sense where it doesn't have to go through a whole congressional back and forth in moments of of tragedy or moments of pandemic? I'm trying we're trying to wrap our head around that. So I want to put a pin in that maybe we can invite you both back again (laughs) or follow up conversation if we don't get to get to through it today. But no, you know, I I would like to come back to, to discuss that because
0: we talked about the American Rescue Plan, but now we're working on the American Jobs Act. Mm-hmm. And that is the infrastructure package. And what's good about this, and Mayor James has touched on this, so we think about infrastructure as very traditionally roads, bridges, mass transit, sewers, etc. Now it includes broadband. Now it includes affordable housing. And now it also includes what I call the continuum of caregiving, the way we care for our youngest and the way we care for our eldest. Because when we talk about infrastructure as job creation, That is very male-dominated for a few reasons. But when we talk about the caregiving infrastructure, now we're talking about more participation by women. And this is important because COVID has disproportionately affected women's participation in the workplace, and on top of that, women of color's participation in the workplace. So if we're going to have a truly equitable and inclusive, sustainable economic recovery, we have to look at the caregiving infrastructure as part of our holistic approach to how we invest in infrastructure. And that's what you're talking about, Crystal. That's something that's sustainable, that's going to keep going and not just happen during a crisis.
4: Right. I agree wholeheartedly. I call that human infrastructure. That's right. With yeah. the, the needs of, of quality child care, for example, so the women uh, who are primarily the people who stay home. Uh, right. Pandemic, and there was like somebody's got to stay home with the kids, honey, is it you or is it me? It's usually the guy that goes to work and the, and the wife or the woman that stays home and gives up whatever career goals or personal goals she may have, at least temporarily, if not permanently, uh, for that. And even if it's only temporary, uh, then she's taken a hit because now she has fallen further behind in the race. All of those things need to be addressed. We cannot succeed in this country, in my mind, until we address the issues that are holding us back we have held back women we have held back african americans we lost 20 something percent of our jobs between february of 2020 and now uh and and a lot of those jobs won't come back 20 percent of those businesses closed um and and will not come back we have to address those types of issues now that we have the opportunity i fear that we will simply revert back to our comfort zones and do what we've always done. And that is the wrong thing to do. Out of disruption, which this pandemic has been, should come innovation. And we do not have this opportunity. Hopefully we'll never have another pandemic where we have this type of a situation. So now that we have it, this is the silver lining that we could possibly take advantage of if we are smart and do it right. But if we're going to just go back and do the same old thing and do the same old junk, forget it. And mayors and local people bound together with the federal government can make that happen. Uh, we need to, I think, and and I mean no disrespect to my friends in USCM, I love USCM and African-American mayors, but I think there needs to be a reshifting of the focus from simply a collegial sharing thing to a policy making, policy following Uh, cohesive organizations combined with the Latino groups, the African-American groups, the women's mayors, all of those, working hand-in-hand, presenting a uniform plan and executing on a consistent long-term basis so we have that long-term leadership.
2: Wow, amen to both comments, and particularly the last one, which was responsive to uh, 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 Crystal's question then, is how do you institutionalize what you've just talked about, what you both just talked about. We've got some thoughts about that, but I'm told I can't uh, share them with you now because we're out of time. But this is why, uh, folks listening, this is why we want mayors to have a louder voice, a megaphone uh, in Washington, and PPI is determined to find a way to make that happen because we have all these former mayors here, and they've got to be brought into the heart of policymaking at the federal level aimed at solving national problems locally. So thank you so much, uh, Mayor James, uh, Mayor Strickland, for uh, being with us today. And we hope to talk to you again soon. And Crystal, thank you.
4: Thank you very
0: much. Thanks for
3: having me. Thank you so
2: much.
4: And always good to see you. And Crystal and Will, thank you all for having us. Thanks.
3: Thank
4: you. That
1: was our first episode of Empowering Cities a series on how urban spaces can lead the way in inclusive innovation, sustainability, and social justice. This series is part of New Urban Progress, a transatlantic project on the future of cities. Learn more at new-urban-progress.org or check the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by PPI. Post-production and additional recordings by Annika Hoffmann with music by Armin Moalem. My name is Diego Rivas. Thanks for listening and catch you at the next episode of Talking Progress, the podcast that explores progressive ideas for Germany,
3: Europe, and transatlantic spaces.